but as Zach said, I'm doing uh, the Songs of Trust. Um, so this has been a really great uh, little short series, four-part series that um, we've been going through periodically um, to kind of break up what Zach's doing. Um, and this is the third installment of this short little series that we're doing. And uh, we're looking at these psalms as the inspired prayers that they are, inspired prayers and songs given to us by God uh, to learn and see by example how we can better approach God in prayer, which is an act of trust in and of itself, and also just how we can better trust God in our lives in general. And so far we've learned in Psalm 11 first that when everything seems to be crumbling around us, we are to look to God and behold God for where and what he is. He is the transcendent God of the universe. For what he does, he graciously tests the righteous and judges the wicked. And for what he is, for who he is, he is the righteous God who made us righteous. And in beholding him, we fall into a greater trust in him. And the Lord's never-changing character makes him infinitely trustworthy in our ever-changing world. And then the last time in Psalm 23, we saw how the Lord is our shepherd. He is called that numerous times in Scripture, and specifically looked at how the Lord as our shepherd gives us provision, protection, and a promise. And he gives us spiritual and physical provision first. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And we are confident in this provision because God does it for his name's sake, for his own glory. We need not fear that we ought to trust in our shepherd for his provision. Our shepherd also gives us protection. The psalmist says he will fear no evil because his shepherd is with him. God gives us a comforting, clo- uh, comforting closeness. His rod and his staff protect him. We are counted into God's fold under his rod and then protected by his staff. And finally, he prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. God protects us by providing for us and giving us peace even in the toughest situations. And finally, we trust in our shepherd because of his promise. David concludes that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. And because of that, he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's experience and him knowing God's promises toward those who love him made him trust in the trustworthy, providential, promise-keeping God entirely. So today, we're jumping in again to how we can grow in trust in God. It's going to be super easy, not super complicated. We're not doing a whole lot of deep things. We're just going to go down through the text, identify things that we can think of in times of trouble, identify things about God that we can remind ourselves of, about what he does, about who he is, to help us in those times that we need him most to deepen our trust in him. So let's do that today. We're going to go into Psalm 46. It's a great, familiar psalm. Um, This psalm is organized into three stanzas, which I'm splitting up into the reason for confidence, the reality for confidence, and the response of confidence. The reason for it, the reality of it, and the response of it. So if you have your Bibles, I would ask you that you would turn them open and read along with me. Psalm 46. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad 
the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And before we seek ways to trust God more tonight, let's turn to him and trust first um, by praying. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. Just thank you for uh, the group of us that are here together to encourage one another, uh, to pray with one another, to lift up our voices uh, to you in prayer uh, for help and in thanksgiving as well. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we look into your word tonight that we would behold wondrous things from your law, that we would see uh, what you would have for us uh, in your word, that we may grow and become more like you and ultimately um, in our aim tonight to uh, better trust you as we leave this place today. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, we're given a reason for the confidence in the first three verses. The psalmist begins, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He reminds himself that amidst terrible circumstances, God is always three things. He is our refuge, he is our strength, and he's a very present help in trouble. But how bad is the trouble first? Does your trust or confidence in God as your refuge, strength, and help depend on the degree of the difficulty that you're in? And this question is answered in verses 2 and 3 where it says, Therefore, because of the confidence that we have in God, we will not fear that the earth gives way, that the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though its mountains tremble at its swelling. The psalmist uses exaggeration here to say that the absolute worst could be happening. The earth itself could collapse. Mountains, which are the most natural, solid structures that you can think of, could be moved from their places. They could be ripped from where they stand. Reality, as we can know, could be torn to shreds and turned upside down. But still, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge, strength, and very present help. We can trust him as that. And one, re- one reason why I've really enjoyed doing these psalms with you is that I think that I have an attitude even while preparing for this, for this message, that, yeah, I get it. Like, trust God. Behold him for who he is. He's our shepherd. Trust him. I got it. I got an A-plus in trust. I know what's going on, okay? I don't really need to hear it again, you know? But when in reality, my trust and your trust is ever-deepening. It's never where it needs to be, and we will always need to intentionally grow in our trust in God. We are sinful. We have so many shortcomings and especially when it comes to simply trusting God. It's so simple, yet we, we fail to do it often. And when we sin, which happens each day, we are not trusting at least one of God's promises to us. And at the very least, we are not trusting in the sufficiency of Christ that has conquered sin and allowed us to live a holy life. So you might think, as I have, like, wow, we are really hammering this trust thing. But it's because we desperately need to. 
This is why the psalmists like David and the psalmists we see writing here, when troubles would arise, they would write these psalms because they're reminding themselves of basic truths and pushing themselves into a deeper trust in God. They know, like us, that they have a tendency, when things get kind of dicey and kind of sideways, to ask God, where are you? This isn't fair, like Zach said in his message on Sunday. Hmm, this is not fair. (laughs) And they ultimately respond in distrust. But the psalmists remind us that the worse the trial is, the more God is pushing you to trust him more. And they tell us here that though the worst possible circumstances could be happening, the mountains could be ripped from their places, God pushes you to trust him as your refuge, as your strength, and as your very present help. So first, God is our refuge. God is the one person in the entire universe we can always go to for comfort, for peace, and for protection. As we learn in Psalm 23, God is our shepherd who does all these things. He provides, he protects, he gives promises to his people. It is his heart's bent to care for and to protect his own. He calls out to us. He wants us to take refuge in him. He's the creator, the sustainer of the universe. The world was created by his very words. He parted the seas for the Israelites to cross on dry land. He rains fire down from heaven to judge the wicked and to protect his people. And he holds the entire universe within his span, thus making him the perfect refuge. So if I'm going to trust anyone personally, I'm going to put myself under the care and protection of this God, not in the world's governments or fortresses or armies, or most certainly not myself. It's going to be in the mighty God of the universe. God is our refuge, and he's also our strength. That's the second thing. He is our strength. He is literally our strength. Whenever we enter into difficulty, we quickly realize that we simply are not strong enough. We simply do not have strength. We are simply not adequate in our own strength to deal with all of the concerns of life and all the things that come at us. We are very weak people. And Paul points this out in 2 Corinthians 12. He says we are weak, but when we are weak, we are strong because the sufficiency and power of God in Christ rests on us because of our union with him. Like Paul, we ought to realize that we as human beings are weak. We have many deficiencies. When we face difficulties and calamities, we are helpless on our own. But thank God for the strength that he gives us, for his strength that he gives us. He is our strength. He gives us his strength to take on those difficulties. So whenever everything is literally crumbling around you, like the psalmist is talking about here, I know I can look to God as my refuge and look to him for strength because he literally is my strength each and every day. Our strength will not be generated under our own volition, but can only be found in God. And then third, God is a very present help in trouble. We just got done talking about how he is a help and that he is our refuge and our strength, and he is a help that he protects us and provides for us as his people. Isaiah 41, 13 says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. And also in Psalm 63, 8, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But what this passage is really keying in on is not that God simply is just a help, which would be sufficient enough, him being God, being our help. 
but that he is even more than that. He's not just the help, he's a present help. And not that he is just present, but that he is very present in our times of trouble. There is something about God that when we are at our lowest, when what seems like the end of our little worlds are taking place, when we are in our deepest times of trouble, when we realize that we are helpless by ourselves in these times, we most clearly see the presence of God in our lives. As Psalm 34:18 says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And in great times of trouble, our blinders of pride and self-sufficiency seem to give way so that we can see that God does not withdraw from his people. He does not go away from them in their affliction. He doesn't become increasingly distant, but we realize more fully how our strength and our protection does not arise from ourselves, but from someone very present with us. He is not some imaginary man up in the sky. No, he is not absent. No, he exists. And he is not just present like I am to you right now in this room, but he is very present, somehow more present than any of us could really even think of or hope to be. As those in Christ, we are literally brought into this intimate relationship with the Father and our union with him. The Spirit brings us into this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Spirit. And as Christians, we should understand this closeness so deeply, knowing that we are united in this way. So God, once again, protects, strengthens, comforts us with his closeness. And just like David in Psalm 23, the psalmist here concludes that God's presence itself allows him not to fear. Therefore, we will not fear, even when the foundations of the world are giving way. So no matter the situation, the realization of God's presence as refuge and strength produces trust so that we are happy and secure. That is our reason for confidence. And then next we have the reality of the confidence. And this stanza, the second stanza of the reality, is really just an expansion of the riches of the first stanza. It highlights the reality that God is really with us. He is really there that he is really our very present help, ready to protect us as our refuge and strength. Following a skillful use of hyperbole, an exaggeration that we talked about in the first stanza, the psalmist now draws on imagery that stretches across the entirety of the canon of Scripture. He says that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This river that flows by the city of God is always something that signifies God's presence. In Genesis 2, 10 through 14, there's a river in the Garden of Eden where God's presence is. In Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, in Ezekiel's vision that God has given him of the temple where God resides, a river of life is flowing from it. In Joel 3:18, a fountain springs forth from the house of the Lord. And finally, in Revelation 22, 1 through 2, where the river of life comes from the throne of God and gives life to the new Jerusalem. See the progression here. See, this is really interesting that, to, to see this, what the psalmist does here. He starts with the calming words of affirmation in the first, the first two verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then, like a masterful composer, he starts to leave the calm and crescendos by building tension. All the earth is being torn to pieces. Reality is unraveling. You still have no fear, but you're forgetting why. The waters are raging. The mountains tremble at the swelling of the waves. But then, there is a river. 
a trickling stream that makes glad the city of God's people. It's God's presence, the habitation of the Most High God, the source of a delightful peace in the midst of great chaos. This is the reality. He's in the midst of his people. Of course they won't be moved. He will help them in the morning. The nations begin to rise up, but he just utters his voice and they melt, protecting his people. The God of Jacob, the God of covenants, is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies that are greater than any earthly army is with us. He is real. He is here. He is a very present help. It's hard for me not to quote John Calvin when I talk about the Psalms. He says, On this account, the prophet, after having celebrated the power of God by calling him the God of armies and by calling him immediately after the God of Jacob, by which he confirms the covenant made of old time with Abraham, that his posterity, us, to whom the inheritance of the promised grace belongs, should not doubt that God was favorable to them also. That our faith may rest truly and firmly in God, we must take into consideration at the same time these two parts of his character. His immeasurable power, by which he is able to subdue the whole world under him, he's the Lord of hosts, and his fatherly love, which he has manifested in his word. He is the God of Jacob. When these two things are joined together, there is nothing which can hinder our faith from defying all the enemies which may rise up against us. Nor must we doubt that God will succor us, since he has promised to do it. And as to power, he is sufficiently able also to fulfill his promise, for he is the God of armies. As his people, under his grace, we can trust that our God will fulfill his promises. God's presence with his people now points forward to that day in Revelation 22 when we will be with his people in eternal glory in the new Jerusalem. That puts me at peace. That makes me glad. That helps me trust in him. But then the question begs to be asked, is he with you? As in, are you one of his people? Are you in union with Christ? Will you see that final river someday? Maybe you've never even trusted him to save you and to bring you under his blessings. As we look to trust him more tonight, ask yourself if you ever even trust him at all. If you have, know that your God is your very present help. He's your very present strength, your very present refuge. He's the very present God of armies, the very present promise-keeping God of Jacob. This is the reality of the confidence. Trust in him. Okay, and then finally... The response of the confidence in verses 8 through 11, the last stanza. This is the application and invitation stand of the passage. And we know that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. But what do we do? In order to more deeply trust God when the foundations of the earth give way, we need to do two things. We need to come and behold, and we need to be still and know. So first we need to come and behold We saw and affirmed that God is our refuge. He is the person who keeps us in the palm of his hand and protects us. We saw that God is our strength. He gives us his strength that we do not have. And he's our very present help. He is our refuge and strength. He upholds with his hand. He does this because he is presently with us. His presence comforts and makes glad the hearts of his people. 
And like the psalmist does when everything starts to come apart, we need to recognize these truths, to remind ourselves of them. But specifically how? Yes, by telling ourselves that these things are true, sure. But the psalmist says here to come and behold the works of the Lord. You, you being able to know and trust who God is comes from accepting a simple invitation to come to him and behold what he has done. His being is very connected to his doing. We know God better by beholding what he has done, what he does. We see this all throughout Ezekiel, where God constantly does things and says that his purpose for, is for them to know that he is the Lord. He judges, he redeems, he destroys, he heals, and he says that they may know that I am the Lord, that he is God. This is evident in the Gospels as well, specifically John. The book of John was written for this exact purpose. As it says in John twenty thirty one. but these things, Jesus' miracles, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By beholding what Jesus has done, you can affirm that it, he is who he says he is, that he is God. The psalmist exhorts us to come to God, to come to him, and to see that he is our refuge, strength, and present help by beholding his powerful works. Specifically, that he has brought desolations to the earth, that he makes war cease to the end of the earth, that he breaks the bow, that he bends the spear, that he lights chariots on fire. This is God. Behold him for what he has done. Who else can end wars at will? Only God can. See it. Believe it. Come and behold it. Trust in him. And second, we are instructed to be still and know. We see this masterful composure-like progression again. I really like this. He says, Behold the works of the Lord. He is mighty. He brings desolation. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow. He bends a spear. He burns chariots with fire. Behold the righteous judge, the eternal, all-powerful God. And be still. Be still. Stop fighting. Stop relying on yourself. Stop worrying. Stop relying on the earthly things around you. Just be still and know that he is God. After coming and beholding all he does to show who he is, the only logical response is not to fear, to trust in him, to be still in the knowledge that he is God. He is your strength, your refuge, and your very present help. And notice that God is telling us this. Be still and know I am God. See me. Behold me. Know me. Trust me. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is zealous for his own glory. God does all things for his own glory. And we have confidence that whatever happens, that his glory will be shown through it. He will accomplish his purposes because he is God. And exalt his name by trusting in him. Trust in him and be confident in his power and in his zeal for his own glory, because really you have a zeal for exalting God's glory as well. The world is increasingly sinful. Violence is rampant. Divisions are growing. Nothing new under the sun. Peace is nowhere to be found. God is being forgotten. And reality seems to be turned over on its head. And then you have your own struggles. You have sin and temptation that you have to deal with every single day. Everything is closing in on all sides, it seems. You hunger for safety. 
We thirst for comfort and strength. So where do we go? What do we do? The answer, it is always come and behold, be still and know. Come and behold and be still and know that he is God. His name will be known. He will be exalted. Trust in that promise and trust that God will prevail. Trust in him as your refuge, your strength, your very present help in trouble. Look forward to the day when you eternally be in his presence, your thirst forever quenched by the river of life. As you pray tonight, take a second chance to come before God. Take a second glance at yourself. Behold him for what he's done in your life and his word. Then be still. Let it go. Knowing that he's your refuge and strength. He's your very present help. Knowing that he is God. He will accomplish his purposes for exalting, of exalting himself.